What up, son? It's the tale of the tapes. The fuck life. Saying. Alright, Tale of the Tapes, episode 6. Another shitty Monday. So wonderful. I know it's Wednesday when you guys listen to this, but most of the time I record them on Monday. I talked about last week how I just keep having a shitty Monday every fucking week. Today was no different. Um, Before we get into anything, we need to talk about the Gypsy King. This is obviously a hip-hop study. I'm not going to talk about this for too long. But the Gypsy King deserves some damn credit. Went in there and just fought a guy that has knocked everybody he's ever fought out. And just beat the shit out of that man. I knew that shit was going to happen. I was a little bit nervous that something dumb was going to happen. That the the cut over Fury's eye was going to open. Or something, something stupid that was going to ruin the fight. But it didn't. Um, I had money on Fury by knockout. I knew Fury could win that fight by knockout. Fury's the fucking truth. The gypsy fucking king. Hats off to Tyson Fury. That was a hell of a fucking performance. Uh, dominated the fight, but, you know, it was still an entertaining fight. I still enjoyed watching it. Um, you know, he got redemption for that first bullshit decision. I'm the last person to ever ever call decisions bullshit i didn't even have that big of a problem with pacquiao bradley and that's that's one that people bitch about a lot um it's very rare that i ever call bullshit on a decision because i'm the type that'll sit down and and watch it from every perspective and say you know what i don't agree with this decision but i see how they got to it i don't see how they got to that first one i just don't really see how that first fight was a draw i thought fury outboxed the shit out of him um, and he just beat the fuck out of him the other night. And it was fucking lovely to watch. So, anyway, shout outs to the Gypsy King. Hats off to Tyson Fury. Hell of a heavyweight title fight. Um, I wanted to say something too that's now we're getting into the hip hop. I wanted to talk about how I just want to make it clear to everybody that the things that I'm saying, I don't know if I've brought this up before, but I just want to make sure that I do before we go any further. The things that I'm saying about these people that I have written down and stuff like that, I didn't write down everything about everybody. Um, You know, I wrote down the things that they kept doing over and over again or the things that it didn't seem like they were able to do or the things that they were consistently good at, stuff like that. So I just want to make a note that like, you know, if you have a guy that, that's number one or number two or a guy that's getting really high praise from me and stuff like that, I don't want I don't want people to hear my critique and be like, oh, you made it sound like, you know, so-and-so never had a bad line or anything like that. Well, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm not here to critique every word that came out of everybody's mouth. Um, you know, there are some verses by some people that, you know, technically they're not very good. Great people. Um, that doesn't mean that it never happened because I'm not bringing it up in what I wrote down. Just understand that what I'm writing down are the, are the things that were done often, the things that really affected their score. You know, somebody's got 200 and something songs and they had a a weak line somewhere. You're not going to hear me bring that up. So I just wanted to go out of the way and say that. And now I want to talk about today's episode. I think we got a sick episode today. 
that's not because I'm particularly overly into either of these guys, but just we got, I feel like we're going to cover a lot of stuff in this one, probably a little bit more than normal. Uh, today we got LL Cool J and Cool Mo D. And they actually beefed with each other. So I'm kind of excited about this episode. I'm kind of excited to have these two guys be critiqued on the same day. This wasn't done on purpose. I didn't put these two guys on the same day on purpose. Um, but I mean, you know, here we are. They just so happened to fall that their critiques are on the same day. So um, it's also a bit intriguing because LL Cool J is probably the first artist that we've covered so far where if you walk around and ask people who the best rapper of all time is, some people are going to say LL Cool J. That's for sure. He's the self-proclaimed GOAT. That's, you know, just like Ali calls himself the GOAT, uh, the greatest of all time. LL Cool J calls himself the greatest of all time. He's the self-proclaimed GOAT. So... I'm excited to see how he fares out against Kumo D because they battled and I'm excited to see how he fares out against the, you know, the other hundred and something people that we've done so far. So, um, before we get into really breaking either one of these guys down, I do, I want to touch on the beef between them a little bit so you can get like a better understanding of, of what went on with these two. I also want to point out that this is not something that I will normally do. A lot of people in hip-hop have had a lot of beefs or a lot of battles or whatever the case is with other people. I'm not really going to get into stuff like that unless it's relevant really to something that's going on that day. Like this, for example, these two guys happen to be on this, you know, covered on the same day. And that's just because of chronologically where they fell. They just happened to be two consecutive guys. So... If this does happen again with other people, then yeah, I'll probably get into the beef with those two people because it's on the same day. But normally, I really would never bring up beefs with each other. So this kind of seemed like it was meant to be. You know, it kind of seems like it was just out of my hands and the cards just fell into place by themselves. So I'm going to let it be. Um, without further ado, let's get into the actual beef between these two. Okay, so... There was a long-running rivalry between fellow New York rappers LL Cool J and Cool Mo D. Along with other rappers such as MC Shan, Cool Mo D claimed that LL had stolen their rap styles. Which to me is interesting because in studying them, I found things that both artists had taken from one another. I don't know what came first or what started what, and I'm sure that I don't know everything that you know each guy took from whoever, but... In studying them, there were clear times that LL took something from Cool Mo D and that Cool Mo D took something from LL. So, um, back to the beef. Uh, cool Mo D also felt that LL was disrespecting rap pioneers such as Melly Mel and Grandmaster Kaz by proclaiming that he was rap's new Grandmaster without paying due respect to those who came before him. He challenged LL on his platinum-selling album, How You Like Me Now, on the single of the same name with indirect but obvious shots at LL. He also took a shot at LL by appearing on the album cover with a Jeep in the background with the wheel crushing one of LL's trademark red Kangol hats. LL responded with Jack the Ripper, 
dissing both Modi and Shan with, again, indirect but obvious lines about the two. Modi then responded with Let's Go, in which he took direct shots and said LL's name numerous times. Three years later, in 1990, LL Cool J released the album titled Mama Said Knock You Out, which contained two tracks dissing Cool Modi. The first track was called To The Break Of Dawn, and the second song, he had the same title as the album, Mama Said Knock You Out. Cool Modi's final song dissing LL Cool J was Death Blow, in which the official video of the song is a parody of the Mama Said Knock You Out video. The last diss was added by LL Cool J in 1995. The controversial song I Shot Ya was also taken as a diss to Tupac after being shot. In this song, the whole last verse was aimed at Modi. The feud persisted with both MCs proclaiming themselves the victor. I'm not going to get into who I thought won this battle because I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't study this battle. I studied LL Cool J as a solo artist and I studied Cool Modi as a solo artist. Now, some of these songs like we spoke about were on some of that album. Some of them were not. But to me... If you want to talk about who won a battle, I mean, you could be talking about a lot of ways to win a battle. It's it's funny that I brought up, you know, the boxing match in the beginning of this. You could, if you want to talk about uh, Fury Wilder won, and you want to tell me that Wilder won, like, the street fight aspect of the fight. Alright, cool, I'll give it to you. He dropped Fury twice and probably caused more damage and stuff like that. But Fury won the boxing match on points. So you can you can do the same thing with a rap battle. Um, Nas and Jay Z is a classic example where what are you basing who won off of? Are you just basing it off the the more punchlines and the more metaphors and stuff like that? And you're just saying, oh, this guy's just better. Are you basing it off of facts that that person is saying? You know, spots that they're blowing up, secrets that they're leaking about the other person. So. You know, are you talking about success? Are you talking about sales? There's, there's really a lot of things. You know, LL Cool J w- will talk a lot of times. Uh, he did it in, in, in the battle with cannabis about how he, you know, he sells more and this and that and 99% of your fans don't exist. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at, you know, how somebody won a battle. I didn't sit down and study what each person said to each other um, in person or in interviews. I didn't study the songs in succession as they were made back and forth to one another. So again, this, this episode isn't really about who won the battle, but I did just want to touch on the fact that they did battle and what it was basically based on and what it was kind of over and stuff like that. I mean, if you want to base the battle on which guy finished higher in this, in this study, then I mean, you could call that person the winner, but I'm not going to get into just those tracks. Um, with all that being said, the battle behind us, Let's get into each artist as a, as a solo artist and what they did. Uh, LL Cool J came out in 1985. Was his, his debut solo album was in 1985. Um, LL Cool J was born in, on January 14th, 1968. He was born in Bayshore, New York, USA. His origins are Queens, New York, USA. His genre is listed as hip-hop. Years active as listed as 1984 to present. So there's some of his uh, some of his info with that. 
And then his bio kind of goes into James Todd Smith, born January 14th, 1968, known professionally as LL Cool J, which is short for Ladies Love Cool James, is an American rapper, record producer, actor, author, and entrepreneur from Queens, New York. With the breakthrough success of his hit single, I Need a Beat, and the radio LP, LL Cool J became an early hip-hop act to achieve mainstream success along with Curtis Blow and Run DMC. LL Cool J has released 13 studio albums. His 12th album, Exit 13, in 2008, was his last for his long-tenured deal with Def Jam Recordings. A two-time Grammy Award winner, LL Cool J is known for such hip-hop hits as Going Back to Cali, Um Bad, The Boomin' System, Rock the Bells, and Mama Said Knock You Out, as well as R&B hits such as Doing It, I Need Love, All I Have, Around the Way Girl, and Hey Lover. In 2010, VH1 placed him on their 100 Greatest Artists of All Time list. In 2017, LL Cool J became the first rapper to receive the Kennedy Center Honors. The Kennedy Center Honors is an annual honor given to those in the performing arts for their lifetime of contributions to American culture. The honors have been presented annually since 1978, culminating each December in a star-studded gala celebrating the honors in the Kennedy Center Opera House in Washington, D.C. So, again, LL Cool J is one of these guys, one of these pioneers, one of these legends of hip-hop. Um... His impact score is obviously going to be there. Um, with all that being said, let's get on to the LL Cool J list. Let's hit random. Let's play the song and let's dissect it. Okay, so this is... The name of the song is LL Cool J, The Breakthrough. And it's from his album, Bad. Okay, so I want to point out a couple of things here. Now, you guys have been going through and listening to most of, you know, what we've done so far and who we've covered. I actually didn't think about this until more recently, but I think LL Cool J was really one of the first aggressive type of people in the fashion to where he kind of, he made a lot of songs for for the ladies and stuff like that, but he kind of had that cocky attitude of like, yeah, I'm going to take your girl, do something. Um, a lot of times before, people were kind of more just, you know, trying to draw the ladies in or just trying to get people to dance or kind of bigging up, like, you know, how good they were at getting a party started. LL is one of the first people that I can remember saying something similar to, this is LL, that soon as I walk into place, I want to take my gun and shoot you in your motherfucking face. Now, I don't think LL went out of character really and was this kind of flapping bullshitting type of person. I don't, I don't get that from him. I, you know, I think LL probably does have a relatively rough background. Um, I know LL's uncle, I believe, 
was a boxer. Uh, I, you know, I've seen LL do some training and stuff. Like, I think L, obviously he's jacked. The dude is big. That doesn't always mean everything. Uh, we saw Willie D beat up Melly Mel. Melly Mel was way more jacked than, than Willie D. Um, so being jacked doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I mean, he's a big dude. He, he looks like he can fight from, from the videos that I've seen of him. His uncle was a professional boxer. I just feel like he was one of the first people to kind of, you know, come on here and talk about like how hard he was and I'll, I'll fuck you up. I'll take your lady and I'll fuck you up type of thing. He didn't do it all the time, but he, I think he changed, you know, a little bit the the direction that people were kind of going with the things they were writing. But, you know, to break down the bars, uh, it, it's nothing much here. You got your simple one syllable rhymes, one rhyme per bar type of thing. He does say, hundred bottles in your pocket, forty dog in your hand. Don't you know you're just a worker and your boss is my man? Uh, Jadakiss used that line later. I believe it was, I believe he was dissing Beanie Siegel actually on the DMX song and Jada said that line. So it is, I, I'm going to get into how, how much LL Cool J really did inspire a lot of people. But as far as those lines are concerned, there's, there's really nothing special there. You know, just, just average stuff kind of, uh, like I said, one, one rhyme per bar, one syllable rhymes. Alright, so a lot more kind of the same thing. Uh, you're seeing, for the most part, pretty much one rhyme per bar, one syllable per rhyme. Um, bar A usually leads into bar B pretty well for LL. Now, this song particularly, um, at least not yet, I haven't seen that there's a particular direct theme going on that's going to be kept here i could see something that i think he might be talking about um he could be talking about his breakthrough into the game uh we'll, we'll as we listen and, and go on we'll see if that if that trend continues if that is what he's talking about and he is able to keep that topic then that will you know he'll get credit for that but you know right now he's just very average uh and you when i played this song you really well when i played a song from LL Cool J you really never know what you're gonna get from LL because you're talking about a guy here that you know came out in in 1985 I believe I said it was uh and he was still making music past 2010 so you could have gotten anything when I hit randomized on on his stuff because he was definitely above average later and he had some really below average stuff early on this is one of his earlier songs but right now so far we're seeing a lot of average stuff right here and where i stopped it he said see i fought with the devil made a promise to god i have experience in going all the way to the top god and top don't really rhyme again we we spoke about this last week i'm not going to crucify somebody for one thing like that I'm not gonna this song is fucking weak. He God and Top didn't even rhyme. That's not gonna happen. But keep throwing bars in there that don't rhyme, and you you know, you're gonna lose something. So let's continue on and see where this song goes. Alright, 
Okay, there's kind of classic LL Cool J to me right there. In a matter of six bars, you have where he ended off before where the line didn't rhyme. Then he has a line where it's just, you know, it's one. See, the problem is you want what another man has, his car, his wife, or his razzmatazz. It's one of those things where it, it, it makes sense. I mean, I get what he's saying, but... You know, razzmatazz, it's it's kind of just an easy way out to rhyme with has. Because there wasn't anything else that you wanted his car, you wanted his wife, you couldn't think of something else to rhyme with has. He went with its, you know, razzmatazz. Again, it's not something on its own that I would take points away for, but it's a half-assed line. He had the one before that didn't really rhyme. And then he follows that with... But that's weak. You got to do work on your own because when you're rich, you got friends. But when you're poor, you're alone. It's not, that's not a great rhyme. Again, that in itself is not going to bring this song above average. But he kind of does stuff like this to where there'll be a questionable line and then a good line or, you know, something like that to where LL kind of hovered around average, but he wasn't just your boring, like never doing anything good or bad. He was kind of a little bit of both, which kind of even, you know, evened him out to be more around average. Okay, there's, there's another kind of similar thing with LL. He's, he's making sense. Um, get you, you know, so get your own on your own. It'll strengthen your soul. Stop living off your parents like you're three years old. Instead of walking like you limp and talking yang about me, why don't you take your monkey ass and get a college degree? So he's saying some things that could invoke a reaction out of people. They're not mind-blowing lines. There's no big syllables. There's no five or six rhymes in the bar. There's no type of crazy wordplay. But he, he is saying something, you know, where he's invoking an emotion out of somebody. So, you know, so far to me, the majority of this stuff has, has evened itself out. Also, I want to point out how he said, or oh, write a rhyme and ride a bike and try to live carefree. Hope my message reaches you before you're 73. That's another similar thing to the razzmatazz scenario where you're kind of just getting away with saying something there because I hope the rhyme reaches you before you're 73. Again, I get the point he's trying to make. It, you know, I he's saying, I hope you understand what I'm saying, so you're able to better your life before it's too late. But the rhyme itself is not really that great. My explanation of late and great was probably a better rhyme just now than that was, and I again didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> no, I'm just fucking around. But I mean, again, most of it is just most of it is just average stuff. And a couple of good lines that he has, you then you can turn around and say, ah, yeah, well, he's got some ones where he kind of reached or he didn't rhyme on this one, so.
he did a good job right there of, again, bar A leading into bar B. What he was saying made sense. It led into the next line. Again, he's not doing anything crazy or mind-blowing. These are pretty simple, just for the most part, they're one rhyme per bar, one syllable per rhyme. It's just basic stuff here for the most part. Okay, now there, he had, not that I killed him, it's just he didn't want to trust the words of a master, that's why you must. So now, again, we got this kind of problem where people are not mixing all the, the elements together. You, you have a scenario here where now he puts three rhymes into two bars, but look how the second bar ends. The words of a master, that's why you must. It's in the middle of a sentence again. Here comes a run-on bar, the next bar. Take heed to the speech. It's going to reach your ear. Don't try to say you can't hear because the words are clear. So, again, he has three rhymes for two bars. So there's six rhymes there in a four-bar sequence, which is better than just four rhymes in a four-bar sequence, but there's a run-on bar in there where he cut his sentence in half. Um, I'm not going to get too into that, if you want to know really about the run-on bars, listen to last week. I, I got into a, an in-depth explanation about it. But cutting your bars in half or cutting them really wherever you want to cut them just so you can use a word that rhymes is, is just technically it's much easier to do that than to figure out a way to rhyme what you really want to say. If you can make your sentences end wherever you want, then of course you can rhyme whatever you want because there's always going to be words that rhyme. So if any word, you know, if it's not the end of your sentence that has to rhyme and you can just cut whatever you want, wherever you want, you're going to make things a hell of a lot easier on yourself. Again, if you, you do something like this rarely or randomly and it's in the mix of something insane and, you know, easily I could overlook a run on bar. Um, I still think the majority of what he's done here has evened itself out to be average. I think you have a little, you know, a couple of parts where there's more than one rhyme for the bar. You got a couple of run-on bars. You got a bar that didn't really rhyme. You got like a little bit of everything here. So overall, I think this is mostly simplistic, basic stuff at the end of the day. Okay, that was the first time right there that he really used a different rhyme pattern where he says, because tonight's the night we're going to see the big fight, 12 gauge on the stage in case it don't go right. So that's the first time, maybe not in his career, but that's the first time in our analysis of this song that we see him do something different where he does that A, B, B, A rhyme pattern that we spoke about in, in, others, uh, in other breakdowns. Because tonight's the night we're going to see a big fight. So that's A. Actually, night and fight are both A. So he's got A, A, then 12 gauge B on the stage B in case it don't go right. A. So he's got a A, A, B, B, A rhyme pattern right there, which is pretty good. And the line itself is pretty good. It makes sense. It leads into it. It's not, it's not a run on bar. He didn't cut his sentence in half. Because tonight's the night we're going to see the big fight 12 gauge on the stage in case it don't go right. 
he's telling you, he's explaining something to you that it's in sequence. It leads into each other. It makes sense. And he didn't have to cut his sentence off. You know, he didn't have to cut himself in half or he didn't have to pick a different part of the sentence to rhyme than the end. He was able to say what he wanted to say and still fit it in the proper way. He did it again right there. I just wanted to point out where he says... He love drives a tank, he's strong like a truck. If you're crying while you're dying, we don't give a fuck. A, B, B, A again. So, if he continues the rest of this now in a pattern where he keeps doing different rhyme schemes and he keeps getting better and better, and he could reverse some of the weaker things that he did earlier in the song. Right now, I would probably say it's still average. Okay, he's starting to come with some lines now. Cause I'm rated X, born to snap necks. Straight up and down, no special effects. I'm the professor, the teacher, the hip hop dean. If Russia bombed the US, they'd be scared to touch Queens. So he's got the three rhymes in the two bars in the beginning. And then he's got a cool little way that he, you know, I'm the professor, the teacher, the hip hop dean. So he's using, you know, three little metaphors kind of there where he's putting himself basically on a pedestal above everybody else. And then he bigs up his hometown, which is obviously Queens, with a pretty dope line about if Russia bombed the U.S., they wouldn't fucking touch my neighborhood. So he's, he's climbing a little bit above average here. He's continuing to get better again now here because that's where I live and this is what I give two rhymes turning top-notch crews into fugitives so he's got three rhymes in two bars they run they frightened they hide from King Titan there's two more rhymes again like a sniper when he's shooting or a viper when he's biting so you got a bunch of good shit going on here you got three rhymes in the first two bars then you have two more rhymes in the third bar then in the fourth bar he shows a different rhyme pattern of like a sniper when he's shooting or a viper when he's biting and biting rhymes back with the rhyme before it they frighten they hide from king titan so those are some pretty dope bars there it makes sense and he's able to use a punchline, but he's still able to rhyme more than one rhyme per bar and more than one syllable on the rhyme with a good line that makes sense and leads into each other. So that's probably the first time that we've seen anyone do that since we've been breaking people down here where he did multiple good things in a span of four bars right there. You got a dope line, you got two syllables on the rhymes you got more than one rhyme per bar and you got the bars leading into each other perfectly
Right there is another line where LL kind of all you petty MCs in the state of New York get in the thousand for a show, but you still want to squawk. It's, you know, it's one of those lines. It just sounds lazy is what it really is. Now, I'm not saying that LL was being lazy. I'm not saying that everybody that does this type of stuff is being lazy. But the point that I'm trying to make is when you saw what LL just did in the bars before that and me being somebody who studied LL's entire career, I know damn well that LL is capable of better than that. Now, a lot of his better than that stuff did come later on in his career as far as the technicality of it being better and stuff like that. But I mean, the couple of bars before it were just so much better than that that it's just kind of one of those let down lines where you just could have said something much better. Most of these lines right here now are kind of continuing on the same pattern. All you petty MCs in the state of New York get a thousand for a show, but you still want to squawk. Eh can't get a decent contract your beats ain't working dogged out pumas plus your manager's jerking Eh, like the point that he's trying to make is good can't get a decent contract contract your beats ain't working you got dogged out pumas plus your manager's jerking so i get your you know your manager's dicking you over your shoes are looking shitty your beats are whack your contract's bullshit so i get what he's saying but the line itself, the way that it's put, the rhyme that he used, plus your manager's jerking, it's just not, it's not worded in the best way that it could have been worded is what I'm trying to say. And then he kind of does the same thing after that. Your mic sounds weak. Remember that, skeezer. I'm better than Napoleon, Hitler, or Caesar. To me, here's what I take that line as. And this is coming from somebody who, who writes a lot of, a lot of bars. He knew that he wanted to say, I'm better than Napoleon, Hitler, or Caesar. Maybe not necessarily in that order or whatever, but he knew he wanted to say that. I mean, Caesar is probably the easiest rhyme out of those three names. Napoleon, you would you know, you got a four-syllable thing. Now, you could take a shortcut and just rhyme the last you know, the last syllable of Napoleon, but if you really want to be good and you use the word Napoleon, you got to rhyme a four-syllable rhyme now. Hitler, you probably, probably could have thought of something to rhyme with Hitler, uh, with you, uh, hit you. I mean, it, there's a couple of things that fire off in my head right away, but I I just feel like he knew he I wanna, I'm better than Caesar. Remember that, skeezer. It's almost like a freestyle to where it's something that you could... You could think of relatively easily. I mean, I wasn't I was only one years old when this song came out, so I could be a little bit off on this. But I mean, my understanding of the word skeezer it doesn't fit so great in here. I understand that it's a derogatory term, you're saying something negative about somebody. I get that. But I mean, my understanding of a skeezer is basically like a slut. So it's just not it's not a great line especially following what we just saw where he had the the multi-syllabic rhymes with the bunch of rhymes per bar that with a dope line that led into each other it's just not up to par with some of the other shit I hate man, but I'm not for hire. 
All right, so there's that song. Um, I would say I, I, I'll tell you right off the bat. Again, don't don't hold me to these these things that I say after we're done with this song because I can't guarantee you what I scored that song. You know, I probably listened to 20 LL Cool J songs in a row before that song. Um, but just listening to it now, I don't think that there was enough in that song to bring it to a good song. He had a sequence of like six bars in there where they really were dope, where you were like, oh shit, okay. Like he's, this is, this is something different. Now he's, now he's doing something clearly better than what we've seen before. But the whole, you know, I mean, that's three minutes and 30 seconds of straight spitting. Uh, there was no hook in there. Um, for you to only have four to six bars in there that were really, you know, something. I'm not saying they were amazing, but they were very good. They were not simplistic, little, basic little rhymes. They were very good. It was... It was a good rhyme scheme. It was good wordplay. It was it was something different. Um, it had a little bit of everything right there, but it only was for four to six bars out of probably, you know, thirty-two plus bars. I certainly didn't count, but I'm just trying to make a point. And then you had you know your other little things in there. You had your one or two run-on bars. You had uh, the one that didn't really rhyme. Um, stuff like that. So. I would say overall that probably got scored as an average song, but I'm sure that it was noted that LL Cool J did some things in there lyrically that were, you know, probably better than what we had seen up to that point. So with that song being dissected and all that being said and you getting a little bit of an example of what LL Cool J brought to the table, that's a very small small portion of LL Cool J right there. The man has been in the game for decades. Uh, we talked about how many albums he had. That's just one song. He had songs that were way better than that. He had songs that were worse than that. But that's what we got today. That's what we heard. So with that being said, let's get into what I wrote down as I was listening to LL Cool J. Me personally, I was always very curious to analyze LL when I decided to do this because he's the self-proclaimed greatest of all time. The main reason being because a lot of people have LL as the GOAT, and although I don't necessarily agree with that, it was always a bit difficult to discredit anyone claiming it. When your career spans 28 years, I guess some ups and downs can be expected. LL had some shining moments lyrically with some amazing topical songs and some dope punchlines, but he also had weak lines and bars that didn't always have much meaning. Overall, though, he was able to keep a topic well, and the good outweighed the bad, finishing him just above average lyrically. Impressive in itself, LL dropped 13 albums. What's even more impressive is that one was a classic, two were great, nine were good, and only one of those albums was an average album. When it came to making a good CD, the man clearly delivered consistently. He also put out 18 great songs while managing to only drop 9 weak ones throughout a 13-album, 28-year, 200-plus song career. That's not too bad if I don't say so myself. Like him or not, one thing I don't think that anyone can argue with is that LL Cool J is a hip-hop legend and an icon. It was impressive to say the least noticing early on in LL's career just how many artists his music had inspired. 
from Biggie, Mob Deep, Jadakiss, Dipset, and Eminem to Cool Mo D, KRS-One, Common, and Big Daddy Kane. However, later on in his career, he seemed to have borrowed almost as much as he lent out early on, bringing him closer to average for originality. Although LL Cool J certainly can't be overlooked, from this angle, he doesn't appear to be the GOAT. Let's get into the numbers and why I say that. For lyrics, LL got a 5.5. Albums, 4.65 with one classic album. Let's point out here that LL Cool J is the very first artist to score a classic album. I'm not going to get into which album that was or why it was classic and let me explain the reason why. I'm disinterested in having these debates about opinions, about, ah, oh, well, you know, I really like this one better. You, people drag sentimental value along with everything. Oh, what was your favorite rap genre? Well, whatever you grew up listening to, you know, well, I'm trying to separate all that. The point that I'm trying to make to you here is not which LL album was his best, but I am trying to stress the point that I firmly believe with my opinions removed and just doing this study in the fashion that you've been watching me doing this study, LL Cool J had one classic album. I don't care if you want to say it was his first one, his second one, or his 13th one. Not interested because it's all a matter of opinion. Technically, the man had a, had one classic album. Um, song score is plus .45. His impact is a nine. I mean, is there's no getting around that. We just heard some of the names that he uh, that he influenced. Big names, a lot of names. Um, an originality five point five. I want to point out something here. I think we're about 13, 14 guys in. LL Cool J is the first rapper ever to receive a score below 7.5 in the originality category. Now, this is a little bit weird to me because you have one of the first 14 rappers here in which the previous 13 have gotten 7.5 or higher on their originality scores, and he drops all the way down to a 5.5. Now, if you remember earlier, we spoke about how MC Shan and Kumo D and people were claiming that LL Cool J stole things from them. So I just want to point out how, I, again, I wasn't there. I can't speak on the facts of who took what completely. There are some things that I can and I did speak on, but I can only go by what I see, and I just think it's ironic that the first guy to score much lower than anybody else has is also being accused of stealing shit. So, duly noted. Um... All those numbers added up and divided by 5 come to a score of 5.22, which, drum roll please, leaves him currently in 13th place of 114 artists done. So he is one spot behind Rev, who finished in 12th. Let's move on to Cool Modi now. Born August 8th, 1963, in Manhattan, New York City, New York, 
His genres are listed as hip-hop and New Jack Swing, and his years active are listed as 1978 to present. Mohandas Deweese, born August 18, 1963, better known by his stage name Cool Mo D, is an American hip-hop MC prominent during the late 1970s through the early 1990s. Cool Mo D was a member of the rap group The Treacherous Three, and also one of the first rappers to earn a Grammy Award, and was the first rapper to perform at the Grammys. One of Cool Modi's first feats was being part of the first major rap battle in history. He lyrically attacked Busy B after one of his performances, and in 1985, the Treacherous Three disbanded. In 1986, he went solo releasing a self-titled album that ranked 83 on the Billboard. He cooperated with the young producers Teddy Riley and Lavaba Mallison, which contributed greatly to the new Jack Swing movement that would gain popularity in years to follow. So, Cool Modi is certainly not as big of a name as LL Cool J. You're not, and and I mean, for me, I'm sure some people would say this, but for me personally, I I've never really said to somebody, hey, who's the greatest rapper of all time? And they said, Cool Modi. I never really had anybody say that to me. I certainly have had people say LL Cool J to me. But you can see in in what I told you about him that he he did, you know, he it was there for him. Um, you know, first rapper to perform at the Grammys, uh one of the first rappers to earn a Grammy, and he also contributed greatly to an entire New Jack Swing movement, which is a, you know a subgenre of hip hop. So you know, Cool Mo D had a little bit more there than you might think. You know, when you just just hear his name. Uh, all that being said, let's go to Cool Mo D's list. Let's hit random, and let's play a song. Here we got. Okay, the name of this song is Cool Mo D, and it's called Monster Crack, and it's from his album Cool Mo D. I mean, right off the bat, he starts this song off with a with a, a rhyme pattern of a a b. Now we talked about before how this was, you know, LL did something here super dope that we hadn't seen before, and this guy comes in doing it right now. 1986, Return of the Horror Flicks. So there's his first two bars, one you know six flicks, one rhyme, one syllable, simple, right? More deadly than the omen, a killer and a showman, which is BB, like the devil and the exorcist, which goes back to A. So you got A-A-B-B-A for the rhyme pattern there, which is not very easy to do. 
Um, and it's not all one syllable either. Omen and showman are two syllables. And then, you know, the other one is one syllable, but you have a bunch of them in there. So it's it, it's a good start right now. Um, let's see where he goes with it. But this flick can cause a heart attack. Because it's more than action packed. It's alive and killing, and the star is a villain, and his name is Monster Crack the Crack Monster. Okay, let's let's we we're gonna see where this song goes. We're gonna see where it finishes, but let's just give Cool Mo D his props right now, off the bat. Um, I I'm sure you know. I'm sorry if I spoil this for you right here, but I'm sure everybody can see where this song is going. The name of the song is called Monster Crack, and he's basically painting a picture here of. I mean, this is in the '80s. Okay, this this song is from 1986. The same thing has went on with my generation with the. You know, the perks and the opioids and all that type of shit. I, I can't tell you how many friends I've lost to this shit. Rest in peace to all of them and even the people that I don't know. Because when I grew up in this crack epidemic, I, I don't... Yeah, I remember I remember some crackheads. I remember bums in Manhattan. I remember when Times Square was shitty. I remember all that. But I don't remember it really affecting me. I don't really think I understood at that age the extent of what was going on. But... He was alive in the midst of this shit. So he's taking an epidemic that's going on here of crack killing people and he's equating it to like a horror film. And the crack is the is the villain, is the monster in the horror film. 1986, Return of the Horror Flicks. More deadly than the omen, a killer and a showman like the devil and the exorcist. But this flick can cause a heart attack. Because it's more than action-packed. It's alive and killing, and the star is a villain, and his name is Monster Crack. So again, he does that A-B-B-A rhyme pattern. Again, he has rhymes that are multi-syllabic, and the whole thing keeps topic, which is definitely an original topic. So if he can hold this topic and keep killing this shit... We're on our verge right here to see our first great song given. I don't know if it's going to happen. Let's see where he goes. But this is the type of shit where if he can murder all these verses and keep this topic, this will be a great song. All right, now here is where, again, this is what you see a lot in the 80s, in my opinion. And this is not trying, I'm not trying to shit on an era or a decade or discredit anybody or anything. But you see this a lot in the 80s where you have something really dope. And, and probably one of the biggest reasons that it seems so dope is because you haven't seen anyone else do it yet. With the the A B B A, I mean, you we've seen people do it, but it's not it's not a common practice for people to be using these different rhyme schemes and patterns. There are people that have come out in 2010, 2015, or whatever that are still not using these complex patterns, and they're still doing one rhyme per bar, one syllable rhymes, and they're selling a tremendous amount of records. So, I'm not trying to to shit on anybody or anything here, but I'm trying to make a point that. 
there seems to be a certain ceiling for most of these people in the, in this time era to where let me break down what he's saying he talks to you like he's alive which is dope it's still on topic here he talks to you like he's alive how many times you, you uh new jack city pookie the crack is calling me it's calling me so he's saying it he talks to you like he's alive and when he talks like bees to a hive the people come running so he's got he's making a point when he talks to you it's like bees to a hive the people come running so you know, bees swarm their hive, they protect their hive. I get what he's trying to say, but it's a run-on bar, and he had to cut his sentence in half to make his point because he couldn't, running and alive didn't rhyme, so he had to find a way to cut his sentence and rhyme hive with alive and whatever. Um, most of this right here, it, it, that evens each other out because you got a pretty decent line, but it just wasn't really worded in the best possible sense, and it's a run-on bar. The people come running, the older and the youngin, the place he lives in the house they hung in. So the place he lives is in the house they hung in. Now, again, it's kind of a trade-off here. You got three rhymes in two bars, and they're two syllables. So right off the bat, that sounds good. But then you break down the lines themselves, and they're a little bit of reach. The people come running, the older and the youngin. You really would say older and younger or older and young or youngin is kind of a term that you use to direct at a specific person. Oh, who are you talking to, youngin? So it, it kind of reached a little bit there. The people come running, the older and the youngin. The place he lives in is the house they hung in. Now, it's not a bad, it's not a bad rhyme. It's not a bad line. But I want to explain to you again, coming from somebody who writes rhymes, he kind of just reversed his sentence to make it rhyme. And it's it's a little bit of a, of a cop-out to where, you know, if I say I'm sitting here at my computer and I'm up at the desk, I'm doing what I'm doing, so fuck the rest. Okay, if, if you take something to where I had a hard time rhyming something there and I wanted to change the order of my words, I'm at my desk because here is where I'm sitting. I'm thinking of these things off the top of my head. It ain't written. Okay, so what you're doing is you needed something to rhyme with running and youngin'. The sentence could have been, they hung in the place he lives. But then it would have ended with lives and that wouldn't have rhymed with running and youngin'. So he kind of reversed his sentence. The place he lives in is the house they hung in. Now, again, I'm not saying this is bad. I'm not saying he's losing points for this. But you got people down the line who don't need to do these things. They're able to not only say what they want to say, but they say it in the fashion they want to say it in. They say the, the, the sentences in the order they want to say them in. They go with each other. Bar A leads to bar B. It's on the topic with the song. There's four rhymes in the two bars, and there are three syllables each. So, I, again, I don't want people to think that I'm just going to shit on everybody that rhymes. I'm not, because... People are going to get credit for what they're doing and they're also going to, you know, lose a little bit or take note when they're doing things that are a little bit of shortcuts or, or stuff like that. So. OK, 
Okay, the rest of this is, is pretty good. He's, he's still keeping the topic. He wants your money, only your money. He'll make you feel good for a real fast 20. The bill is passed and the dollars go fast. The feeling is high, but the high don't last. So you got, you know, more than one rhyme per bar. Um, you got a couple of rhymes that are more than one syllable. He's kept the topic and he's got some pretty powerful lines. They're nothing too crazy. They're not insane punchlines or metaphors, but he's making good, strong points here. Okay, you got, you know, kind of the same thing there where you do have a run-on bar. Um, I, I, won't, I won't give him too much shit for that because honestly, the majority of this song has been really dope so far, especially those last two lines. Um, it only takes one kiss and a deep, deep breath. Then you're hooked for life because it's the kiss of death. I mean, we all have heard of the kiss of the the kiss of death. Um, Jada Kiss has plenty of puns and plays off off the kiss of death. I'm pretty sure he has an album called Kiss of Death. So everybody knows the kiss of death. But again, he he keeps relating crack to like all these different things to this to this villain, to this monster, to this woman. It only takes one kiss and a deep, deep breath. And it's crazy because that's what you're doing. You're putting your lips up to this thing and you're taking a deep breath. In reality, that's what you're doing. Um, and then, like he said, then you're hooked for life because it's the kiss of death. So, he again, he it's a good line. He's making strong points. One rhyme per bar, one syllable. But this is, this is above average shit right here for sure. Uh, the good has outweighed the bad as far as the lines are concerned. Uh, the strong points and the emotion that he's invoking has, has outweighed the one, you know, run on, uh, one or two run on bars that there were, uh, you know, he had a little, little points where he's reaching, but he's done more good than bad on this song and all while keeping a very original topic. So this is, this has been pretty good so far. All right, again, you got you got some lines where, like, save your fare, he's everywhere. He'll hook an innocent baby because he don't care. I mean, that's fucked up. That's that's one of them lines right there where you're like, fuck, man. Like, it's fucked up. You know, you got parents that are that well mothers i should say i'm sure there's plenty of fathers that were smoking crack too but at least the baby wasn't in their stomach when they was doing it you got mothers that are pregnant and smoking crack i mean this shit was going on a lot in the fucking 80s i mean this is a term that you hear about crack babies it's you know i heard it as a fucking joke growing up when i was you know, oh, he's a fucking crack baby i didn't even know what what the kids i was a little kid i didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about i thought it was just some dumbass insult you gave to somebody there was real crack babies being born you got a kid coming out of a womb here taking its first fucking breath and it's addicted to crack 
that's fucking crazy and fucked up. He'll hook an innocent baby because he don't care. Then, following that, he loves to eat girls and boys and he's nothing but poison. The biggest hit since Michael Jackson. He's making noise in. Then he goes into his next bars. Now, again, it's kind of a trade-off here because you got run-on bars here, but at the same time, you got more than one rhyme per bar and you got more than one syllable on your rhymes. But you got a, 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 a couple, a bunch of run-on bars here. He loves to eat girls and boys and he's nothing but poison. The biggest hit since Michael Jackson. He's making noise in. That leads into the streets. He's notorious to push as he's glorious. So... Again, it's it's a little bit of everything here. Where you, you you're getting some some great lines, some weaker lines, some multi-syllabic bars, more than one bar per rhyme, but all of this is done in an instance where he's keeping the topic. It's a very original song idea. Maybe not an original topic because he's talking about crack. That's not what I'm saying. But the way that he's talking about crack is dope. He's turned crack into this fucking villain and this monster from a movie. And he's had all these metaphors as to different ways that people and babies and everything are getting hooked. So again, you can see you can see where the limit is here of the skill level. But you can also see how this is fucking dope. Again, you got more of the same. He's kept his topic. You have a little bit of a reach. The, sh the streets, he's notorious. To pushes, he's glorious. To girls, he's a pimp because he turns them to the whoriest. Whoriest is not really a word. Um, you'll see people like Keith Murray do things like that a lot where they... they again, now this this line right here is not going to raise Cool Modi's uh, originality score. This song probably did for sure. But that line and then him saying Horius did not really raise his originality. Someone like Keith Murray used to alter words a lot and kind of use them to his advantage. So he did get extra credit there for being a little bit more original with his words and his vocabulary. But this was not something that Kumo D did regularly or that he did in this insane type of way. Um, to me, this is just a, a scenario right there where he obviously wanted to say something. We all know, again, it's another term, crack whore, you're a crack whore. He turns him to the whoriest. He's doing a great job here of what he's trying to do. He's trying to, again, paint crack into this monster villain from a movie in a sense where he should scare the fuck out of you to not use this shit. And not only is he doing that, but I also think that he's making an impact on people like me who I've never smoked crack, I've never been addicted to crack, and I've never had anybody in my family be on crack or be addicted to crack. And I've personally, I don't really ever remember having any friends that were addicted to crack. So it's a song, it's about something that really in all reality shouldn't really have an emotional impact on me at all. I don't really know shit about crack. I never was involved with crack, but he's doing it. 
He's making me feel like, wow, that's fucked up that babies are coming out addicted to crack. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's painting this this picture and, and telling you these things that's making you feel like, man, this is fucking, this is fucked up. This, this shit is, this shit is bad. Um, and he's doing it in a very artistic way. Again, that line is a little bit of a reach, but I, he's not going to lose credit for it. It's, it's more than one syllable. Um, most of that was more than one syllable. Brother, mother, um, materialistic nymphomaniacs. That's, I want to point that out too, materialistic nymphomaniacs. That's a, that's a good vocabulary right there. Now, you can't have 150 songs and have only said a word that was, you know, five syllables once in your entire fucking career, and I'm going to turn around and mark that down and say his vocabulary was tremendous. But there are people who, who are able to use words like that consistently but not to the point where nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about they use them consistently but in the right spots and where they rhyme a lot of them um so again he, he's not gonna get that right there to where he's gonna get raised just for saying materialistic nymphomaniacs but i just want to point out what you know it's it's a good vocabulary that he's using right there coupled on top of some you know, multi-syllabic bars or a couple of bars per rhyme or the picture that he's painting or the, the strong points that he's making and the, the metaphors that he's using to make these strong points. It's, it's, it's been a pretty good effort overall here. All right, that's, again, it's a mix of a bunch of different things. Got a bunch of rhymes per bar. Those who chose to willingly oppose one syllable, but a bunch of rhymes per bar. But you also have the run-on bar. So that's, this all kind of evens itself out to me right there. And the more you get, the more you want. You're killing your brain now. So later on, it'll haunt you. You become insatiable. You can't get enough. When your money gets low, things really get rough. It's your... I want to point out here that I give him credit for, for doing a good job of keeping this topic for the whole song, but right now, I can tell your average listener may or may not notice this stuff when listening to a song, especially if you love Cool Modi or you love this song or whatever, and I'm not saying that anything is getting bad here, but I can tell as somebody who writes rhymes, he's starting to struggle a little bit to think of dope ways to keep this topic where he said, you know, it's like a kiss, take a long, deep breath and you're hooked for life because it's the kiss of death or he don't discriminate. He'll hook a baby or, uh, you know, with the crack horiest and things like that. He's starting to struggle now to find really dope ways to keep this topic. I give him credit because he's still keeping it, but he's starting to struggle to find a dope way to keep it. There's a in in a you know in a handful of six bars right here. Almost almost every one of them has been a run-on bar, um, and they've almost all been single syllables. So you you're seeing a little bit of a shift here from what he was doing. The only objective you lose all perspective on life. You're obsessed, obsessed and defective, losing weight and disappearing, but still persevering. Your body tells you no, but on your 
All right, so he finished off that verse pretty strong. He switched it up there. Your only objective, you lose all perspective. On lice, you're, you're obsessed, possessed, and defective. So you got three rhymes on the two bars, and you got three syllables on the rhymes. But again, you got a run-on bar. Uh, losing weight and disappearing, but still persevering. Your body tells you no, but all you're hearing is the crack talk. Um... He ended the verse stronger than he started the verse. I, I still wouldn't say it was really up to par with some of the other things that he did earlier in this song, but he's still doing a great job of keeping the topic, um, and it, the verse wasn't bad. It certainly wasn't anything that was going to take away from the score of this song. Okay, so when you listen to the start of this in South Africa, many brother many brother had died trying to fight back against apartheid. Bombs are flying, people are dying, terrorists terrorizing, and the whole world's trying to prevent another war. There's a run on bar, but I got a surprise. So now, the reason I read all that is because it seems like it doesn't have much to do with crack. In South Africa, many a brother had died trying to fight against apartheid. But it does. To prevent another war, but I got a surprise, there's already one right before your eyes. So he's trying to point out that there's all this shit going on in the world. All this terrible shit. And everybody going out of their way, probably doing these anti-war rallies and all this other shit. But meanwhile, the people that are six blocks down from you are in a fucking war for their lives with crack. And people are just maybe not even ignoring it, but maybe shitting on these people. Ah, this fucking crackhead. These people needed help. You understand what I'm saying? So he took something right there to where it seemed like he might have been going off. And he swung it in very nicely and made a strong point there. So... Even though there was a run-on bar in there, um, and there wasn't any crazy like metaphors or anything like that, he he cuts that right there. With, I wanted to cut that right there with that strong line of to prevent another war, but I got a surprise. There's already one right before your eyes. All right, I mean, listen, me me being a rapper and me being an artist, I, 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 I'm not going to say that I'm going to ever put that song on again. I'm not going to ride around bumping that song. That's not what I'm trying to say to you here. But coming from somebody who creates art like this, this is, it, it's a hell of a song because of, because of the, the, the topic at hand and because of the way he was able to do it in his own way. Um... I, I don't know that as being one of Kumo D's biggest songs, and I'm sure I can come up with a million theories as to why. Uh, I think a lot of that still applies today. I would I would say at the end of the day, this was probably a good song because 
I didn't think there wasn't anything behind it as far as popularity or success that would that would raise it in itself. Um, it was obviously a very original way that this guy spoke about something that everybody knew about, but did it in, in a very original fashion. And he was able to keep that topic throughout the whole song. So that was a hell of a job to him. He did have, I thought he had enough, you know, um, punchlines and metaphors in there and strong, meaningful lines that invoked emotion, uh, coupled with the fact that it was a very original idea that he was able to keep the topic on the entire time. I would say that was, that was probably scored as a good song. Um, so now it's interesting because we had an LL Cool J song that really wasn't very much above average, if any at all, and was probably scored as an average song. And then you have this song by Cool Mo D, which to me is probably pretty clearly a good song. Uh, again, that song would have to be listened. That song was listened to in sequence of a bunch of other songs. And, you know, he may have had many run on bars in every song. And I might have took a little off for that because he kept doing it. I can only go by what we're hearing right now. So it's very hard for me to tell you what I scored each song. But that was probably a two. So if you were to just take what we heard today from LL Cool J and Cool Mo D, I personally would probably be inclined to think that Cool Mo D was probably the better rapper just from going off of that. And that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make to you here in saying this is that I don't want people to just hear these breakdowns and you know, you got this artist that has a terrible song and I'm just fucking ripping it apart that's not me saying they suck. I'm just telling you what's going on in that song. Um, all that being said, we heard LL, we, we, we went over LL and his numbers. Let's get into what I wrote down for Cool Mo D and, uh, you know, his dissection as I was listening to him. Cool Mo D was one of the first rappers I noticed who started consistently making unique songs. And it's funny that that's my opening line of Cool Mo D after the song that we just randomized and heard. It's it's funny that that's the song that came on out of a randomization. And my opening line is that he was one of the, the first rappers that started to consistently make unique songs. So something like that wasn't very random or out of the blue for Cool Mo D. He, he obviously did shit like that. Um, and, you know, for the most part, I remember him always being able to... to keep that topic or else I probably wouldn't have brought up that he was making unique songs because if they were unique titles that he wasn't keeping a topic of, then I mean, that really doesn't do much. Uh, overall, he was average lyrically. Modi only dropped five albums, two of which were good and the other three being average. As far as songs go, he only had one weak one, but he also only had five good ones and didn't have any great songs. He did, however, manage to have a visible effect on some big names in the hip-hop game, such as LL Cool J, Fabulous, Biggie, Tupac, Cannabis, Lupe Fiasco, Redman, Jay-Z, and more. It's safe to say, at least as far as other artists are concerned, that Cool Mo D had a pretty notable impact on hip-hop music. While his rap style in general was common, Song topics and certain lines definitely caught your ear as different at times, which I respected. He also proved he had his own image shown by his classic sunglasses he always had on. 
So let's get into the actual math on Cool Mo D. We, we talked about lyrically he was average. His lyric score is a 5. His album score is a 3.56 with no classic albums. His song score is a minus 0.18. His impact was an 8. And his originality was a 7.5. You add those all up. You divide by 5. That gives you a final score of 4.78. Which leaves him in, drum roll please, 26th of 114 artists done. So again, I do try to compare the numbers between each artist we did a little bit. Just so you have something to kind of base it off of. But I really want to do it a little bit extra in this one because of the way that these two went at it and battled. Um, so lyrically, we have LL on top of Kumo D. And I honestly think that... That is mostly in part due to how long LL Cool J stayed making music because LL Cool J really did have some some verses and some songs and some bars, you know, halfway through his career or, you know, into the late 90s and even into the 2000s and stuff like that, that it was certainly above average. Now, he had other shit earlier on where he was certainly below average. So he did have a little bit of a hill to climb to get over that average spot. But I thought that he just did enough to get over the average spot. Whereas Cool Modi was a little bit more kind of just average the whole time and was around for a shorter period of time. Only five albums in comparison to LL Cool J's 13 albums. Um, with the album score, you got... Cool Mo D at a 3.56 with no classics and LL at a 4.65 with one classic. So the five and a half to the five on the lyrical score is not that big of a deal. That's not that big of a hole for Cool Mo D to have to climb out of to, to, to best LL Cool J. The album score is pretty big. You He's over an entire point better and then he gets another extra point for the one classic album. So this is the point that I'm trying to make when I said to you, it doesn't matter what LL Cool J album was classic or anything like that. It just matters that mathematically he had one classic album and Kumo D didn't. So LL Cool J is getting an extra point. I want to point out that when you add up LL Cool J's score, it's a five and a half plus 4.65 plus 0.45 plus nine plus 5.5, plus 1 for the classic album. So, where you have 5 things being added up and divided by 5 for Cool Mo D, you actually have 6 things being added up and divided by 5 for LL Cool J because he's getting an extra point for having a classic album. The song score for Cool Mo D is a minus 0.18 in comparison to LL Cool J's plus 0.45. Now, LL Cool J had more weak songs than Cool Modi, but he also had a lot more songs in total. So the percentage-wise was probably around the same. And then Cool Modi didn't have any great songs, whereas LL Cool J had like 18, I believe it was. So you got 18 to nothing on the great aspect there. And then when you're talking about the weak aspect, yes, LL had a lot more weak songs, but he also had a lot more songs in general. So you got a difference of over another half a point there. So you got LL Cool J ahead a half a point, 
Then he's ahead by two and a half points by the time you get to albums. Now you're adding pretty much another half a point on. So you got LL up by like three points. The impact is a nine. You can't really refute that. LL Cool J inspired and influenced a lot of names and big names. And on top of that, he's a household name. And he is somebody that a lot of people do turn around and say he is the greatest of all time. So his impact is huge. His impact is there. Now, I spoke about earlier before we got into either of these guys separately, how when you hear these names, you might think that there's a drastic difference in the impact level here. And there really wasn't. Because the only reason LL scored a 9 as opposed to Kumo D scoring an 8 was really more of like a big picture type of thing where his name held more weight, more people give LL Cool J as an answer when talking about one of the greatest of all time. He's a household name and you know he had more albums and put out more material and he was relevant for a much longer period of time, things like that. But as far as influencing artists, they were about the same. They both influenced a lot of big names. There were a lot of big people that either took beats from them or song ideas from them or lines from them or whatever the case was. So again, Kumo D falls short by another point here on LL Cool J as far as impact is concerned, but his impact was still big. He still gets an eight there. So at this point, you know, he's down by a bunch and then you have originality where he gets a seven and a half and LL Cool J gets a five and a half, which is a pretty, a pretty big gap because like I said, you have 400 and something artists that are falling into a 10 point span here. So even the point five is, you know, in terms of what we're doing here, it's, it's a pretty decent difference. So this, this difference here of two points for originality is, is a lot, um, Kumo D was probably, in pretty much every possible sense of the word, a more original artist than LL Cool J. Um, his image was a little bit more original. And I say that in, in this sense that when they first came out, I wouldn't say that the image was necessarily more original because LL Cool J really was one of the first to to really take advantage of like his body and the way he looked and being a sex icon. I'm not saying that uh, other rappers didn't have great bodies. I'm not saying that other rappers didn't make love songs directed at ladies or anything like that. But LL Cool J kind of more built his image off of it. So he was original in that sense, but he lost a lot of points for originality in other senses in the sense where you had a lot of artists claiming that he stole shit from them. There were clear examples to where I did see him take things from a good number of people. Um, and I talked about how later on in his career, it, it kind of seemed like he almost took as much out of hip-hop as he brought to hip-hop. Not quite, but close. Where Kumo D was kind of, you know, quite the opposite. A lot of his songs were about very original things or about very common things that were done in a very original type of way. So there's, there's a gap there as far as originality, but the gap in originality was not big enough to carry Kumo D to best LL Cool J. So again, let's go back to what we spoke about in the beginning with the battle. Who wins the battle? I don't know because... The final lyrical score, you got LL Cool J finishing higher than Cool Mo D. So it's like, all right, well, lyrically he was better. 
then you got you look at the success and the and the stuff like that and it's like well you know one guy finished in 13th and the other guy finished in 26 so you know it's almost like at the at the end of the day the big picture it's like all right well all cool j1 he did fucking better in his career and everything you know as a as a hip-hop artist than cool mo d did but I don't know what you base the battle on. I don't know if you base it on just lyrics. I don't know if you base it on truths and things being exposed. I don't know if you base it on who had a better career or, you know, any of this stuff. Uh, like I said, I, I won't get into who won factually because I didn't sit down and study the beef and the disses just by themselves. But, you know, here it is. We got LL Cool J finished 13 slots ahead of Cool Modi. So take that how you want it. Um, let's do what we do here every week. Let's talk about the current lists. Um, this will be the last podcast in February. So this will be the last time that we do our top 50% of our artists that we covered. And then we're going to move down to our top 33% as we go on. So as for the month of March, we're going to be doing our top 33% of people finished. Uh, and we'll take that from there. But right now, our current top 50% final list reads like this. You have Rev Run at the top from Run DMC. He is in 12th place of 114 artists done. Then behind him you have LL Cool J who is in 13th of 114 artists done. Behind him you have DMC from Run DMC who is tied for 17th of 114 artists done. So I want to point out here that now LL Cool J has been the first cause of separation between Run DMC. Run DMC was a group, but they were scored as individuals, and you had Run sitting on top with DMC right behind him, and now you've had LL Cool J sneak in between them. So in reality of everybody I've done, there is there is a decent amount of people between Run and DMC, but as far as my podcast is concerned and the people that we've done so far, LL Cool J is the first guy to sneak in there and cause separation between Run and DMC. After DMC, you have Cool Mo D, who's in 26th of 114 people done. After Cool Mo D, you have a three-way tie of Melly Mel, Scorpio, and Keith Cowboy, who are all from the Furious Five. They are tied for 38th of 114 artists done. And then behind them, we have another tie of Kid Creole and Raheem, who are also from the Furious Five but finished tied for 43rd of 114 as opposed to the other three who finished 38th of 114. So there's your top 50% of your people that we've done so far. The other people, again, they fell to the back of the bus. I can't be naming every single person that we've done every week. Um, we are doing the top 10% lyrically from now on, I've talked about, and we're going to lower that as time goes on, but right now we're doing the top 10% lyrically. Uh, you have a tie here. R Run's been sitting in first by himself um, as he was the first artist to receive an above average score lyrically. Now you have LL Cool J who ties him at a five and a half. So we're up to 1986 here as Cool Mode D came out in 1986. So altogether we're up to 1986 here and we now have two artists tied for the top spot lyrically with above average scores of five and a half and that's again that's rev run and ll cool j um if you'd like to see any of these full lists 
Give the Facebook website a visit. It's www.facebook.com slash tale of the tapes podcast. You will see everything there. You'll see your updates, your updated lists, uh, your updated episodes coming up. Um, you know, everything is in pictures, everything is in writing, all the math, all the breakdowns, all that type of stuff. So if you want to see any of that, go to the Facebook page. It's all there. Um, on the anchor, on the actual anchor site, www.anchor.fm slash tale of the tapes. I have a donate button. Uh, please feel free to hit it. Please feel generous for your boy Formsy. Greatly appreciate it. Love the love. Um, other than that, man, I mean, that basically concludes the show for today. I thought today was a, a great episode. I thought it was awesome that we had two guys on there that, that, you know, historically beefed with each other and they just happened to be critiqued in the same episode. Again, I don't know about the beef, but you know, you, we got LL Cool J who finished on top of Cool Mode in this one. So, um, that's it for this week. Tale of the Tapes. That was episode six. Uh, LL Cool J and Cool Mo D. Next week, episode 7, we got MC Hammer and Dougie Fresh. So I will see y'all next week for episode 7. Tale of the tapes. Might as well.